We've heard some this morning. I want to show you now a unique expression of a Christmas celebration that I think has an incredible song, but also with it now comes some real fun. So just pay attention to the screens for just a moment. So it's not your typical Christmas anthem, but I, I loved it because these folks, these, I guess they're guys and ladies, are iconoclasts. It's a great word. Iconoclast comes from two words, meaning icon and clastus. Icon meaning image and clastus meaning breaking. Image breaking. There's a great description of that word in the magazine Fast Company. It says, iconoclasts do what tradition-minded people say cannot be done, and they do it by seeing things differently. 
And, and you've heard of some iconoclasts. You, you know some of those folks. For instance, Craig Newmark. Craig Newmark worked as a financial analyst for Charles Schwab when he decided to create a website where you could some, sell some stuff, and many of you have used that. It's called Craigslist. He's an iconoclast. Larry Page and Sergey Brin began a service in the middle mid-1990s. Uh, they called it backrub.com. And they figured there had to be some kind of tool to use on, on the web that could take all of the information and coordinate it and organize it together. Backrub.com did not really carry very well, so they changed it to the expression Google. Iconoclast. Some of you don't even have a computer. Go, what's Google? <laughs> Several decades ago, a, a, a decent artist and an illustrator saw his cartoon up on a big screen and his mind just went crazy and no one knew what was in the imagination of Walt Disney an iconoclast an image breaker image breakers see things not for what they are but for what they might be so I, I like those silent people in, in the monks robes because because they've discovered this that it doesn't matter your declared major. It doesn't matter your physical stature. It doesn't matter your financial portfolio or your gender. It doesn't matter a list of your failures or your trophies or your scholarships. That we have been created to hold up our life sign and to declare the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So my question for you is this. Is that easy for you to do? Because for most of it is not easy for us to do, to declare that with our life sign. So I'm going to ask you a question now, and I'm going to ask you the same question at the end of this message. What does your life sign say? Where are you stuck? What, what is the thing that, that is your life sign that perhaps keeps you from moving into your destiny, into your future? If I had to show you what my life sign was for many years, it would be this. I lived destructive perfectionism. See, I felt that to be loved and to be accepted, I had to perform. And it had to be perfect. It had to be perfect for my parents. It had to be perfect for my school. It had to be perfect for my friends. It had to be perfect for the girls or they wouldn't date me. That didn't help. But anyhow, it had to be perfect for the football team. It had to be perfect for God. In fact, it still is in my system. I will go to Wegmans, and before I go into one of those lines, I will calculate which line will get me through quicker. And when I get in that line and it doesn't move faster than the other ones, it ticks me off because I should have been able to tell which line. It just bothers me. Pam and I can leave this facility and drive home in two separate vehicles. And because we're so different in many ways, we take different routes home. And I calculate how I can get there quicker than she can. And when she beats me there, it's for one simple reason. She speeds. I have to have this thing perfect. 
So let me tell you how that entered into my relationship with God. See, I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth and made an agreement with God that if he would die for my sins, God would forgive me and God would have to take me. So I believe that God has to do that because Jesus said it was an agreement. You've got to take Reisner. And I think that God is stuck with me. Remember gym class? See, I think the Holy Spirit said, I'll take Noah. And Jesus said, well, I'll take Paul the Apostle. And God said, that leaves me with Reisner. Sheesh, stuck with him again. Because I thought that if I wasn't perfect, God had still had to take me because of Jesus, but he really didn't like the idea. He was stuck with me. And so that's how I viewed my life. That I had to keep performing because, because if, if, I, if I don't, I'm stuck with this forever. But if I can get beyond this thing, if, if I can really do it perfect, then God will like me. And everything will be okay. I had no idea until several years back, even years after I had been in pastoral ministry, that I had this epiphany one day that this whole time that I hung on to this image, there was this Messiah who was trying to break it apart. I want to tell you about two other iconoclasts, two other image breakers, whose lives were parallel, and then in this wonderful divine moment, they intersected. There is a general practitioner, a doctor in the first century named Luke, who is a part-time historian, and he records it. We find that listed in Luke, the first chapter, the 39th verse, and here's what he says. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is this child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Very unique lives, these two, in a parallel run. You see, both of them were childless. One of them was ancient, old, and barren. The other one was an adolescent and a virgin. Both families encountered the same angel. The angel told them both that you're going to have a child. And that child will be great. In fact, that child will be a son, and that name for that son has already been chosen. Both families questioned the angel, and the angel then gave them both a sign to authenticate the promise. And for Mary, that sign was that her childless relative now was six months pregnant. So Mary hurries to Elizabeth's house. And when they come together, both of them have proven that they are iconoclasts. They are image breakers because they both recognize not what is, but what shall be. What God has destined and designed. You see, understand that both these ladies lived in the first century, and women in that century were second-class citizens. And, and Mary had this constraint, the added constraint of this, this shame that she carried because she was an unwed mother. And in that culture, you are not an unwed mother and, and, and accepted by the family. You are cast away and even stoned to death. 
And so when Elizabeth sees Mary, who should be ostracized and not encouraged in any way, filled with the Holy Spirit, she breaks tradition and she says, Oh, unwed mama, God's all over this thing. And the baby inside of Elizabeth, who later would be called John the Baptist, begins to dance. Because he recognizes that within that girl, that virgin, there is this embryo growing. This, this, this little fetus that is developing that is the Messiah. God is breaking tradition. You see, when the Messiah comes, he breaks our bad images. So my question to you is, what is your sign? What is your image? What is the thing that you carry? And how? How can we allow God to break that up? Well, first of all, I want to encourage you to do this. Move into the weight of God. Mary has already submitted herself to this whole strange plan. It's just it's ridiculous. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to make you pregnant. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be the Messiah. And so that's really cool. In fact, she says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as he has already said it's going to be. May it be as he said it will come that way. Now this lady, this, this young girl is already on the bottom rung of society. And now she's even going to go further. And the image must, must in, in, in our minds, would just be lesser and lesser and lesser because now not only is she part of this lower caste, but now she will be cast away from them because she is pregnant. And yet she doesn't see that. She sees something that no one else can see. And so she declares it. And Luke records what she says in Luke 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Mary says, my soul glorifies the Lord. The soul. Where is the soul? The soul is, is somewhere deep down inside here. It is the collecting point. It is the center of our thoughts, our desires, our will. So she says, I have decided that I am going to glorify. The word is magnify or make larger, make bigger. I'm going to make the Lord, the sovereign God, I'm going to make him bigger. How do you do that? How can you make God bigger? I've shared at another time the story that when I was in junior high school, I was on the seventh grade football team and sitting on the bench and it was during a game that some, somebody got confused and the coach needed somebody to go in. So he yelled, hey, I need somebody. So I ran up and said, coach, send me in. And he said, okay, here's the deal. You're going in. We're going to punt. And you're going to block for the punter. Not on the line, but you are the person just in front of the punter. You're the last line of defense so that nobody gets through and blocks the punt. Now, in, in those days, I was probably about, I had to be like five foot nothing and and, and, and weighed like 120 pounds. I was, just, I was just skinny as a rail. And so 
I'm in place, and, and this should be an easy task. And so they hike the ball, and then I just hear this horrible noise. There is this, 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 this guy ripping through our line. He is huge. He's just casting bodies to the side. I believe he was a junior college transfer to Pipkin Junior High School. It's just... He came barreling through. And, and from the distance that I was, he was big. But as he got closer, oh, he was bigger. I'm, I, I'm sure he had tattoos. He was just huge. And he came and we collided. I just closed my eyes and said, Jesus, I'm coming to see you now. And just, and, and here he came. And so I just, I, just, I just did what I could to block. And there was this, this horrendous collision. Now, the good news is this, that he did not block the punt. The bad news is that he picked me up and I blocked the punt. <laughs> he, he just lifted me right into the foot of the punter. Not a pretty sight. And really, I couldn't sit on the bench any longer. So here's the deal. When, when Mary says, I'm going to make God larger, it's not where she's going to go around saying, hey, let me show you how big God is. The only way that you can magnify God is when you get closer to Him. When you get closer to God, you see His immensity. You see how big He is. And I'm going to tell you this. The negative image that you carry can never be removed until you and God collide. It's got to happen. Job in the Old Testament, a man who loved God. And we all thought that everything was fine with Job and God. And he goes through this horrendous time where everything is stripped away from him. And he complains. He, he whines about the fact that God must be wrong because God's not doing this right because this is not justice. He didn't do anything wrong. So at the end of the story, God shows up and begins to question Job and says, Okay, big guy, who do you think you are? And Job finishes by saying this. I heard about you. See, I saw you and I knew you are big. I heard about you, and now I see you. In other words, I've collided with you. You and I have met, and you are much bigger than I ever thought you were, and much stronger. And so he said, therefore, I just shut my mouth. And he says, I despise myself, and I repent. Interesting words. Repent actually means to sigh. In, in the Hebrew, it means to just to sigh as if to say, Oh, man, was I wrong. And he says, when I despise myself, it literally means that I melt it away. So look, when you encounter God in his greatness, in his largeness, in his bigness, when it's you and God colliding, at that moment, everything that you thought about yourself, including that which was so wrong, begins to melt away. Away. It is at that moment that God then can say to you, I want to show you my favor. You say, whoa, 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 God's favor? Man, they, they just diagnosed me with cancer. I'm in God's favor? My, my business just closed. That, that's God's favor? My, my wife just told me she's having an affair. That's God's favor? I told you when I came back from the sabbatical in the summer of 2008 that Pam and I felt like God said, during this, this season, I'm going to show you my favor. And it's not something you've done or not done, but I'm just going to show you my favor. 
And so we told you, we reported to you all the crazy things that just the wonderful things God did, including wonderful airline seats and gifts people gave to us. And in fact, we would laugh every week. We'd just say, there goes God again. And it just was stuff coming and coming. And, and there's nothing we earned. It just, it just kept pouring out. And I came back and said to you, I believe God said that he wanted to give his favor to this church and to my family and to extend it to all of us. Fast forward to the summer of 2009. While I'm thinking about all this favor, three separate people, totally disconnected from each other, the beginning of the summer came to, up, came to me and said, I believe that God is saying that you're going through a tough time and God's going to take care of you. Somebody else said that Satan wants to sift you like wheat, but God's going to take you through it. And immediately thereafter, we began to go through some very severe issues and trials that we deal with. So did God's favor leave? In fact, I asked that question. I said, am I missing God's favor? Or am I still in his favor? I want you for a moment to just, just imagine that you are close friends with a very successful, world-renowned oncologist, a cancer specialist. And, and you're really good friends with, with this doc, and, and this doc is really nice and, and, and generous. And, and on Christmas Day, Friday... You're, you're up and you're with family and you're tearing into gifts and there's a ring, a doorbell rings and you go to the door and there's your friend, the oncologist, the doctor, successful doctor. He says, man, I just, I just love your family and, 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 and I want to give you a gift. So you walk out and in the driveway, there is, is parked a Lexus RX350. A beautiful, beautiful Lexus with a big bow on it. He says, I, I just want you to have that. Joy to the world. And so you, you get a car and you say, I'm really in his favor. And throughout the years, he, or the, the year he calls you and says, hey, hey, we're, we're heading down to the Caribbean on a cruise. You want to go? We're paying it. It's all covered. Oh, this is such, this is his favor. His favor is so great. See, we have this, we have this image in our mind that as long as things are good, we're in God's favor. And when things are bad, we're in God's absence. So you're with, you're with this oncologist and this friend and he's pouring all this stuff out to you and, and you're talking one day and you're having coffee and you say, you know, I've I just been feeling sluggish. I just I don't feel very good. And he said, well, come on, come on, come on I'll, I'll, I'll check you out. You come in, he runs you through some tests and he comes in and says, I, I don't know how to tell you this, but you got cancer. <gasps> I got cancer. He says, well, let me help you. And so, and so he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do surgery and try to get all of it. And then we're going to take you through radiation and try to burn it out. And what's left we're going to get with, with chemo. And so your friend who's given you favor now begins to work on you. And, and he does the radiation and he does the chemo and he does the surgery. And, and now you say, well, what's the guy trying to do? First he cuts me and, and, and then he burns me and now he wants to poison me. Because here's the deal. Favor comes in two expressions. Favor comes to make you happy. And favor comes to make you healthy. And both are favor. And so what Pam and I have gone through, we're still in his favor. And because you are dealing with issues doesn't mean you are stuck there because you are still in his favor. Because what happens is when you collide with God and that, that image begins to melt, God begins to rearrange your life. And whether it's through happiness or health, he begins to shape you into something new, somebody new, a new image. And so Mary says, 
my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, because you see, she is so happy that she's going to have this child of God. But when she says the word Savior, she needs to understand that he will make her happy by his birth, but it will make her sad by his death. And when that Savior dies for her, not only will she be happy, but then and then alone will she be healthy. So we say, okay, go ahead, shape us. We're going to trust you. And so my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I begin to sing that. You see, when, when you've met God full on and, and he starts ripping into you and starts tearing up your life and, and pressing in on you, you have this collision. Because people say to me, you know, I came to know Jesus it was happy and suddenly things just got sour. They turned and, and, and why are these things happening to me? Because he's making you healthy. He's changing all the bad images you've carried with yourself and you're stuck there. He said, I'm going to get you loose. And so what do you do during that time? Mary says, I just begin to sing. My soul does rejoice in God my Savior. My soul begins to... to, The word means to jump for joy. Yeah, this is great. In God my Savior. Don't miss that word. It means superimposition. It means you take the fullness of God and you layer him down totally, imposing who he is upon every facet of your life. Especially these places. And he weighs himself down because here's the deal. When I said you run into his weight, there's another word for his weight. It is the word glory. He takes his glory, his weightiness of who he is, and he applies it to us, and especially in those destructive places. And he layers himself there. He imposes himself in that spot. See, I've come to the conclusion that in my life where I have anxiety, those are the places where he is not Lord. Those are the places where he has not been superimposed on top of me. Where you are worried right now, that means he's not Lord there or you wouldn't be worried. And so Mary says, I go to him and I say, okay, right here, my worries about being pregnant and in this culture, I'm, I'm, I'm letting you superimpose your will on top of mine and I'm going to trust you there. You've got to say, God, you're big enough. You can deal with this right now in those difficult places. Superimpose yourself on top of me. Those places of anxiety reveal the absence of his lordship. And you know how I do that? You know how I get, I, you just can't say, okay, impose and, and it happens. You, you've got to work through this thing. So here's what I do. I take the Bible because here's what, the, the, what we know about the Bible. The Scripture says that the Bible is given to us by the breath of God. Those words are still breathing. So when I start through the Scriptures and I start reading them, God's words begin to breathe into my life and bring me a freshness and a new understanding. That's why one minute a day just reading the Scriptures is not really going to help you a lot. You've got, you've got, to, you've got to go deep into that. You've got to hear people teach. You've got to hang out with them. You've got to take the scriptures and read them. And and you've got to let them be imposed upon you. And they breathe in you. I'm I'm telling you, they give you such incredible life. I also do what we do in here today. I praise. Because the scripture says that he inhabits the praises of his people. That when I praise him, his presence comes and just weighs down on me and enters into those places that have been hidden. And I pray. 
Paul the Apostle said, Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your request known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your mind, your intellect, and your heart, your emotions. And what happens when, when, when you do that is it begins to reshape you. I'm telling you, listen, if you're, if you're in, a, in a cul-de-sac of, of this, this thinking, as I was, the only way out is to spend time with him so that he begins to press himself on you and, and this begins to melt away and you understand his favor and he begins to reshape you because he does, he reforms us. And as he does that, then the next step is you do this, you, you move under the mercy of God. If I believe I'm stuck with this, then I'm going to vacillate between two worlds and, and, and it's going to express itself this way. Either I'm going to look at you and say, why are you so blessed? Why, why do you have it so good and I have it so bad? Why isn't your child sick and mine is? Why, why do you have a job and I don't? And I'll begin to whine about the fact that you've got something that I don't have. Or you'll go this direction, which is more my tendency. Look what I did. I messed up so badly that nobody can save me now. You know, if I hadn't made that stupid mistake, if I hadn't stood in the wrong line, if, 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 I, hadn't, if I hadn't said that wrong word, if I'd have just studied some more, if I'd have just gone to that place instead of this place, if, if, if I'd have chosen that university and not this university, I have messed it up so badly. See, if you catch yourself in either one of those worlds, I'm telling you, you have no concept of God's mercy. Because listen to what Mary said. We read it. She said that his mercy extends to those who fear him, those who run into him from generation to generation. His mercy just doesn't go to one person here and one person there. He said the whole generation gets the mercy. So what is mercy? Let me give you a description of mercy. Mercy is the accurate estimation and the adequate supply of my need. God looks at me and says, I know exactly what you need and I'm going to give it to you and it's going to be exactly what you need. It's yours. And so God gives us that mercy. Now understand that when God gives you mercy, he doesn't send it by FedEx. And so it arrives and you go, oh, look at God sent me and his mercy is so great. The big guy is so good to me. His mercy never comes unless it's attached to him. He delivers it in person. That is why Mary said, His mercy is extended to those who fear Him. Why do you fear Him? Because when you get close to God and you see Him coming crashing through the line and He's coming toward you and He's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, you say, how will I defend myself? Because all I've got are my imperfections and He's not going for that. And God comes crashing into you. But see, here's the great thing. God did not come to crash into you with judgment. In fact, Jesus said that. He said, God did not send me into the world to condemn the world, but the world through me might be saved. So when he comes to you and he comes running to you and you see the largeness of who he is and you expect this incredible judgment of, and a crash, instead he comes to grab hold of you and to embrace you and to spin you around and to say, I've been looking for you. I've been wanting to be with you. Where have you been? 
It's the story of the kid who left his parents and took took his inheritance and wasted it and then brought shame to his father and even coming back would declare that he should be stoned to death. But he realizes he needs to go back home. He goes back home and his father's waiting. And when his father gets there, his father does not run to him and bowl him over and say, what an idiot you are. Instead, he embraces him and he says, look, put a robe on this boy because he's royalty with me. And put sandals on his feet because he's not a slave. And put a ring on his finger because he works in the authority of my kingdom. And let's have a party. And son, my entire estate is yours. You get my estate. If we understand that his love proceeds his favor... If you understand that he comes to embrace you, then you'll understand the entire estate is yours and he has not left you behind. And in those moments you don't think that he's giving you favor, he's probably making you healthy. And when you realize that he has come to you and you see who he is, it puts you in awe. And above all of that, in that awe, you begin to realize that you don't deserve forgiveness. Please have a seat. You know my family doesn't want you here. I'm glad you came. <laughs> Sir, I no. am still now. I'm not going to press any charges. I don't understand. I don't intend for you to. 
I know that you're a better person than my family and those other people think you are. <laughs> the only thing I ask is that you change. <laughs> that I can change. I have changed. You can go now. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. So mercy is the accurate estimation. And he had a good supply of my desperate need. See, his favor finds us in our lowest spot. His favor finds us in our deepest shame. It finds us in our simple willingness to just lean on him and say, I, I got nothing. The Messiah's arrival tells us that we don't have to be stuck where things are, but we can see where things could be because of his mercy. God has a present, specific mercy for each of us. See, I, I don't know where you are right now and what you face and what your sign tells you and, and, and where you are in life and you're stuck there. I'm going to tell you right now that wherever that is, don't compare yourself to anybody else because God has a present specific mercy for you right now. Yours may not be Alexis. Yours may be taking you through a healthy process to pull out of you that junk. I'm going to tell you that getting through this was not an easy thing. I didn't wake up one morning and with fairy dust on me that said, Hey, you're free. It has been a struggle to let go of that and to trust the God who loves me deeply. When you find that mercy, I'm going to invite you to grab hold of that and to dance with it. Say, oh, look what he's done. And, and, to, and to thrive in it and to love it. We are so much like those, those silent, faceless friends we saw in the beginning of this message. We get to hold up our life and, and declare that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth right here, right here, right here, right here, right here. So where are you stuck? His mercy's here right now, this morning. Where do you need to change? His mercy is here right now, this morning. Are you ready to see not what is, but what could be? His mercy is here right now, this morning. What sign do you hold up? I asked in the beginning, what sign? What is that sign? See, this was mine. I've got to tell you, about seven years into my pastoral ministry, I had an encounter with Jesus that began to change that. That, and I've got to tell you, a very loving wife who proved to me that I could be loved beyond anything that I could do. And so I'm so proud to tell you this morning that my sign has changed. It has gone from this 
to this. And I love it. It's fun to be with him and understand that I can't do anything to make him love me more. And in those moments at Wegman's line, I just got to say, okay, it's all right. And if Pam wins, that's not so good, but we'll still get through that. So this morning, in this wonderful Christmas celebration, I've invited some friends who carried a sign that was so destructive, and they met this Jesus who changed them. So I'm going to invite them in just a moment to come join us on stage here, join me on stage. When they come, they're going to come to declare to you that Jesus has changed them. And and when they come, you're going to recognize the song that's going to be played, and I invite you to sing with it. And you're going to want to stand. I'm going to ask you to be seated during it because you want to see everybody that comes up here. But you can go ahead and sing with it because we're going to tell you, we're going to raise our signs and tell you that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is an image breaker.
I'll get you. There you go. Remain standing. Now, at the end, the song went off, and you may not have seen that. This is great. Just, let's make sure we got this one. Now, flip side. Isn't that great? So before you, you've got folks who have walked through the journey and they understand that God's favor takes us through. And my encouragement to you today is don't give up. Whether He's making you happy or making you healthy, don't give up. Crash into God, let Him reshape you, let that sign be broken and find a new image. That's what Christmas is about, that's what Jesus is about. And if you don't know how to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, I invite you before you leave, to stop by our information desk in the back. They have a packet for you that will tell you more about how to find a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And just tell them, I want that, that gift that the pastor said I can have. So now let me pray a blessing on you. May you discover in these next hours that where you were stuck and where you thought you'd be forever, Jesus has come to set you free. May you have new clarity and sight and faith and vision and joy in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.